Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The lust of the flesh. If I get all this plain of Jordan, I'll be set for life. I can have anything I want. That's the disease called the lust of the flesh. Lot had no interest in pleasing God with his life. Lot only had an interest in pleasing himself in his life. That's the lust. That's the disease called the lust of the flesh. And Lot had that disease. We don't want that disease. And in verse 11, it says Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan. That's because Lot had the disease in 1 John 2.16 called the pride of life. If I get all this plain of Jordan, I'll be known as the owner of this plain. I'll be known as the owner of the most beautiful land in this region. This region will bear my name. It'll be known as Lot's land. And I'll be called the owner of the plain of Jordan. That's the disease called the pride of life. Lot had no interest in being called a friend of God like Abraham was in 2 Chronicles 27, Isaiah 41.8, and James 2.23. Lot had no interest in being called a friend of God in that reputation. He only had an interest in being called the owner of this beautiful plain in Jordan. That's the disease called the pride of life. Lot had it. We don't want it. So in verse 10, what Lot did as he surveyed the land and he focused on all the plain of Jordan is he saw in all the plain of Jordan this beautiful low region. You know, this goes from, uh, this is the area which is from the Sea of Galilee to the Dead Sea. And uh, we're talking about the two lowest lakes in the world. The Dead Sea is the lowest lake in the world. The second lowest lake in the world is the Sea of Galilee. So it's running there, and between those two lakes is the Jordan River, which connects them. And it's right in the middle of that, the Jordan River is in this middle of this place called the Plain of Jordan. And so when the Plain of Jordan overflowed its banks, it leaves a land that is so fertile, it's described in verse 10 like the land of Egypt. And of course that immediately makes us think of why Egypt is such a fertile land, is because of a river called the Nile, which overflows, very rich, fertile. There's absolutely no question in the Egyptians' mind how valuable that land is, that uh, river is, and the overflowing of it. It starts in Ethiopia. The Nile does. One part does. And uh, the Ethiopians would like a little bit of that water, too. There's no problem there, start famine. But the Egyptians have made it very clear to the Ethiopians, you touch that, the beginning of the Nile River, and we'll go to war over it. Very friendly neighbors, the Egyptians are to the Ethiopians. Well, this is very similar here. That's because the overflowing of the Nile is so very vitally important because it leaves it so fertile. You know, Israel is like our imperial valley in El Centro. That imperial valley, before they brought in the water from the Colorado River, didn't look like much, but it was a garden just ready to explode in bloom once the water got there from the Colorado River, which when it was brought in, then the U.S. had its supply of vegetables. Now, this plain that Lot saw is described as well-watered everywhere as the Garden of the Lord. Rich pasture land, perfect for cattle, lush with vegetation. And Lot knew that there his flocks would flourish 
and he would become a richer man with this pasture land. So that's what Lot saw in verse 10, and that determined his decision in verse 11, where it says he chose him all the plain of Jordan. Now, Lot made that choice. He leaves Abraham in the dust, so to speak, and uh, because when Lot was bumped, what spilled out was an unashamed boldness, was an unrestrained self-seeking, was a wild greed. That was what was inside Lot. Lot just did what was best for Lot. And so what went wrong with Lot? I mean, we, how did he become so self-centered? I mean, we didn't see this character in Lot before, and there was some crisis somewhat that had happened. So all we've seen of Lot is that he was pretty obedient to Abraham. He was true to Abraham. It's true to no indication he wasn't anything but true to Abraham and Herod, and he was true in all of Egypt. But something happened to Lot that changed him. And it's found in verse 5, where it says, Lot also, which went with Abraham, he had flocks and herds and tents. See, in Egypt, Lot became a rich man. And those riches were too much for him. And they got a hold of his heart and they changed Lot. Lot was different because the riches remolded Lot's heart and his values. See, before Lot, he valued Abraham. Before this time, before he became rich, he valued Abraham. He valued Abraham's God. He valued what Abraham stood for, those godly principles of right. But after Lot got rich, that all changed. And Lot no longer looked up to Abraham. Lot no longer valued Abraham's God. Lot no longer valued the godly principles of right that Abraham stood for because now Lot valued wealth. And Lot looked up to rich people. And Lot looked to those rich people, those wealthy people that were living there in that beautiful city of Sodom. And he thought, who cares about the homosexuality? Who cares about violating God's principles of purity and morality? Those sodomites are rich, and that's good enough for me. That's Lot's attitude. And so he looks up to these people, and he values whatever it takes to get rich, that's good enough for me. So what happened here? Wealth got a hold of Lot's heart, and Lot became choked and strangled and he lost all his fruitfulness for God. As it says in Mark 4, 19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. So when wealth got a hold of Lot's heart, Lot fell into a love affair with money and it brought him all kinds of evil and it caused Lot to stray and it caused Lot to be pierced through with many sorrows, as described in 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred or gone astray from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. So when Lot chose that the goal of his life is to become richer and richer, Lot fell into a trap of temptations and there was the same foolish and hurtful lusts that caused men to be cast into hell. As it says in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now Lot thought he was making the best choice, but he was making the worst choice. He sought this world, he lost this world. 
He lost everything because he was not willing to give up anything for the honor of God. See, Abraham was willing to give up the land for the honor of God. It's total contrast with Abraham. He was willing to give up the plain of Jordan for the honor of God, for keeping peace. Lot got a wife. He got a wife. He got a wife in Sodom. He ended up losing his wife. When she turned back to Sodom and became a pillar of salt, he lost his wife. Lot lost his wife. Who knows how much Lot's wife might have been, could have been, influenced, helped, had Lot just been a different man. A man like Abraham, a man of character, a man of principle, a man who was willing to be self-sacrificing, a humble man. Lot lost his children. He lost his children to sin. Lot married, had children. Lot's married children refused to leave Sodom. They were destroyed. Lot's unmarried daughters committed a horrible act of incest that brought in the Ammonites and the Moabites. Who knows how much Lot's children could have been, might have been helped, had Lot been a different man. And finally, the thing that he was after all along is wealth. He lost his wealth. When Lot fled out of the land, out of the city there of Sodom, he had nothing. He had nothing, just the clothes that were on his back. And he lived as a homeless person in a cave. He thought he was making the right choice to gain the world. He lost it all. He lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. All because he made the wrong decisions. He made his choices based on the disease that he had of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So Lot stands for us as a giant warning sign because Lot was a believer and he could perceive that angels were coming to visit him at his house in Sodom. He protected those angels from the aggressive homosexuality in Sodom. And Lot's soul is called righteous in 2 Peter 2, 7 through 8. And says, God says, he delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. See, he had the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was a tormented man because he made wrong choices. He made wrong choices and he lost everything but God. And there's one word to characterize Lot, loss. So sad. It's so sad here because it didn't have to be. Lot's end was so sad. Now, verse 11 tells us of something very tragic for Lot, where it says in the end of verse 11, Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. So that's important. Lot separates, see? Lot desperately needed the godly influence of Abraham. He was desperate for that. He had this disease of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And he needed to stay with Abraham so he could recover, and Lot could see In his recovery process, he could see in Abraham what a man of God looks like. I mean, Lot needed to see Abraham, and he needed to see how Abraham, as the man of God, lets God change his heart. See, both of them had this disease. Both Abraham and Lot had a disease described in Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So they both had this disease of having a deceitful heart and a desperately wicked heart. But the difference is, the man of God let God change his heart. When it says in Jeremiah 31, 33, this is the heart changing. 
But this shall be the covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts. Be their God, they'll be my people. 1 Kings 8.58, they prayed that he may incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways. Ezekiel 11.19, where God says, I will give them one heart, I will put a new spirit within you, I'll take the stony heart out of their flesh and will give them a heart of flesh. See, they both had the same problem, but the difference between Lot and Abraham was that Abraham surrendered to God and let God change his heart, and Lot didn't do that. Abraham knew his heart was sick. He came to God as a physician and asked God, wanted God, needed God, had to have God change his heart, and Lot didn't. See, that's the difference in what it's spoken about in Mark 2.17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Lot needed to stay with Abraham so he could see in Abraham how a man of God with a changed heart begins to go through the process of delighting himself in God, and how he could see then of how God then gives him the desires of his new heart. As it says in Psalm 37, 4, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee desires of thine heart. Both Abraham and Lot, they were looking for happiness, they wanted security, as we all do, and peace. But the difference was that Lot followed his old, deceitful, wicked heart and to find those things which led him in all the wrong places. But Abraham came to God to heal him of his diseased heart, give him a new heart, what it says in Ezekiel 36, 26, when God says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. I'll take away the stony heart out of your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. So with Abraham, he's got this new God-given heart. God begins to work in Abraham to change his desires and his actions, as it says in Philippians 2.13. For it's God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God works in you to will. That's very important. It's like the person who says, I can quit smoking whenever I want to. The problem is, I don't want to. (laughs) But when God works in us, he changes our wants to. That's the difference. Lot desperately needed to stay with Abraham. So Lot could have his want-tos changed by God, like Abraham did. Lot said, no, not for him. That's the last words of verse 11. Tragic. And they separated themselves, the one from the other. Now we read in verse 12 how each of them settled in. Abraham dwelled in the land, verse 12, of Canaan. Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now, we see Abraham, he stays there in the land, of Canaan. He's not in any city. But Lot, he's just drawn to these cities of the plain. See, verse 12 says, tells us that really, when you really get the impression, Lot is he's moving. He's moving. It says he's dwelled in the cities. Not a city, but cities of the plain. So we see a restlessness in this man, Lot. I mean, Lot seems to be moving from one city to the other, and he doesn't really settle down. In verse 12, there is the word, the Hebrew word ad, translated toward in the King James, is better translated as far as. Most of the others use that. The majority of time, that little word, odd, in Hebrew is translated until or till. 
As, so the verse really better reads with this word. It's very important in this verse. Uh, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent, odd, as far as Sodom. It brings out, so you'll see that, as far as it brings out how Lot is really, he's searching, he's searching. He's looking for excitement. He wants adventure. Not that boring life of Abraham. That's boring, Abraham and his God. But not Lot. Oh, no. A Lot, he's going to push his way towards the extreme. The more outrageous, the more exciting. He's craving this thrilling pleasure, this delightful ecstasy he's looking for. It's exciting for Lot. He flirts with what Abraham told him was forbidden. And he's finally gotten away from all those disturbing frowns of Abraham. And now Lot's life is no longer restrained. And he's free to explore all the pleasures of the dark passions. And he wants to have fun, and he wants to experience the other side of life. And he's looking for this exhilarating flirtation with sin. So he keeps moving from city to city. And he keeps going farther and farther into the dark world. And what was thrilling for a lot yesterday is now boring. No more kicks out of that. It's time for the more and more risque to give Lot the kicks he's looking for. So he moves from city to city, and he goes deeper and deeper into sin. And he doesn't know it, but he's becoming more and more trapped as he moves from city to city until finally, as far as, finally, Lot gets as far as Sodom. The city of unbridled homosexuality. And that's the end of the road. That's why it is as far as for Lot. So the last words of verse 11 show the direction of Lot. He's separated from Abraham. He's separated from God, but he doesn't stay stagnant. It shows where the road ended for Lot in Sodom, the end of the road. And that was the end of the road because of verse 13. The men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. See, they were before God and doing all these things. That's what they didn't see. And God had enough. Lot was on his life journey of seeking pleasures. But the life-seeking pleasures had an odd to it. It had an as far as you can go. It had an end of the road. And in contrast to the life of the believer, who has no odd, has no as far as with it in, the road for the pleasure seeker just keeps getting darker and darker until there's that final stumble. He doesn't even know what he stumbled at. He falls into hell. But that's not true of the believer, as it says in Proverbs 4, 18 through 19. The path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day. The way of the wicked is as darkness. They know not at what they stumble. Lot was not a man who ended up in hell, but going down that wrong road, he lost everything, including his purity, his happiness, his security, his peace, and his service for God. He wasted his life. Now, this picture of Lot was pretty depressing, and it's pretty depressing for us to watch. It's pretty depressing for Abraham to have watched. So God says, we're going to switch the focus now back to the hero of our history, Abraham. So that's what happens in verse 14. And the Lord said unto Abram, after Lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art, northward, southward, eastward, westward. It's been a pretty rough time on poor Abraham. He's separated from Lot. He's lost Lot. He's watched the tragic downfall of Lot. He's moved on to a land, a dust bowl that was left over after Lot took the great place, see? So there's a feeling in Abraham of a sadness, of an emptiness. I mean, he's kind of hanging his head like this. You know, it's a rough time. You, you gotta... So what does God do for his downhearted man? 
You know, what does God do for us when we are downhearted? It's no shame to be downhearted. Sometimes it comes, sometimes it surprises us, and we find ourselves downhearted. And three times David said in the Psalm 42.5, 43.5, where he says in 42.11, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. So what does God do when we feel like Abraham. We're sad, empty, cast down. We just lost a loved one, maybe from a parting or a separation, as in this case, maybe from death. God speaks to his downhearted man. And the Lord said unto Abram, notice the words, he said unto Abram, here's a special word for Abram. And where should we look when we're sad and cast downhearted? The Bible, where God speaks to us with a special word. The Lord said to Abram after Lot was separated from him. The Lord says to us after a loved one is separated from us. And what did God say to his downhearted man, Abram? He says, lift up thine eyes. He goes like this, you know, lift up your eyes, look. He says, look, and that's what God says to us. He says, lift up your eyes. Look from the place where thou art. He says, look, and what does he say to us? He says, Romans 8, 18. He says, for I reckon the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. What does he say to us when we're downhearted? 2 Corinthians four seventeen. Our light affliction is for a moment. It works in us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. What does he say? He says what he said in John 14, 1 and 2. Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe in also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go, he says, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. He says, Luke 12, 32. Fear not, little flock. It's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, Isaiah 64, 4. For since the beginning of the world, men have not heard, nor have perceived by the ear, neither hath the eye seen, O God, beside thee, what he hath prepared for him that waiteth for him. So how does God encourage his downhearted Abraham? He says to him, verses 15 through 17, words like, this land, I'll give it to you and to your seed forever. I'll make your seed as the dust of the earth. Rise, walk, I'll give it to you. See those words, I'll give, I'll make, I'll give. They're promises, promises, promises. And that's how God encouraged Abraham with those promises, wonderful promises. What kind of promises? The kind of promises that Peter described in 2 Peter 1.4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Promises, they're not just ordinary promises. These promises are exceeding, they're great, they're precious promises. Promises so powerful that they make us partakers of the divine nature. Promises that are so powerful, they enable us to escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Promises that, are, that make possible what's written in 1 John 3, 2 about us. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know when he shall appear we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Promises that are so powerful, they make us know now we're the sons of God. They make us know that when he appears we're going to be like him. So powerful that we're able to see what doth not yet appear. Or as it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, embraced them, confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Promises that are so powerful that throughout our lives we continue 
to embrace them. Promises are so powerful that throughout our lives we continue to be persuaded or changed by them. They're so powerful we continue to tell people we're strangers, we're pilgrims, we're going to heaven. Promises that are so powerful that even through our deaths, we continue to see them afar off. Promises that are so powerful that it caused Abraham, in the last verse of this chapter, Abraham removed his tent, came, dwelt in the plain of Mamre, went to Hebron, built there an altar. Promises that are so powerful that we, like Abraham, we just let the world go by. While they spend their time seeking pleasures, we spend our time at the altar in our hearts, worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ and giving ourselves more to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these promises that you make to us to encourage our hearts, Lord, when we so often find ourselves in great need, as Abraham did. Thank you, Lord, that you are with Abraham, you're with us, and we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104.